I wanted to start with a little bit of a confession and then a question for you. A confession that for some twisted and weird reason, I like to read books about nuclear war strategy. Who else is with me? I feel out of place. So I know it sounds crazy. Melissa can testify. I find these things on the internet. I order them. They show up and everything else is set aside to, to read that. And uh, so I can shortcut like the news for you and say the news is not good and you're just as prepared as I am even though I know all about why it won't be good. It's not good. Um, and I would say that that particular habit or fascination does work against my personal sense of peace, as you might imagine. And uh, I don't know why this is the case, but actually ever since I was a kid, that's been in my head. I don't know, maybe when I was a, I was a kid in the 80s, you know, so maybe Cold War, you know, mentality kind of crept into my mind, never exactly left, so... Always kind of, you know, living, planning, doing stuff, and thinking it could all end at any minute, but it probably wouldn't end quickly, it would be terrible, but I don't want to bore you with all of that. Um, here's my question for you, and I'm really glad we sang that song, just to balance out, you know, that illustration, but um, what is your current narrative about the future? Not, not sort of your theology narrative, I understand we would say, well, glory awaits, you know. But as you think about your future here on earth, and you just imagine things happening in sequential order, does it lead you to a great place, or does it lead you to some sort of terrifying or awful place? Now, you don't have to answer out loud. Um, and maybe you're a little bit like me, where your answer would be kind of mixed based on what the inputs are. You know, you, you hear about some amazing new technology, and you go, wow, the world's going to get better. And then you think a little bit more about that technology, and you go, oh, man, we're in trouble, right? And, uh, and so sometimes the same news could lead you to, like, either think this is horrible or this is wonderful. The narrative that plays in our head is kind of like the story we're telling ourselves about what we're all about, who we are, and where it all ends up, where we're going. And I've had to face some facts as I tell myself my story. Here's a few of them. I can't save enough, plan enough, know enough, or fight enough to secure my own future, let alone that of this whole broken world. Can you? Now, we, we want to try, right? I mean, you think, well, I'm I'm going to do the best I can, even though I'm kind of fighting a losing battle there. And what I've had to come to peace with is some sense of, I'm not in control of what happens. In fact, I feel like there's a direct relationship between my lack of peace and my sense of perceived control. Because if I think I can fix it, and it rides on me to fix it, then that's a pretty stressful way to live. But the moment I recognize I can't really control anything and I'm barely keeping control of my own life, the faster I can get to the place of true peace, which we'll talk about this morning. So turn in the Bible to Isaiah chapter 25. We'll be there in just a moment, but first I wanted to do a little bit of review with you about of saying where, where we came from and what the first premise of our seven-part series is. We've divided this into seven 
choices we're going to have to make to walk on the road to daily peace, to actually feel it in your heart. That you'd be able to someday sing that song, it is well with my soul, and not be a hypocrite. Say, it actually is well with my soul. So how do we get there from here? A couple things we learned last week, some of the challenges we're going to have to overcome in this struggle for peace is the things that lead to peace are often minimized or mocked in the world we live in. So just when you kind of get a sense of like, wow, if I just trusted in God, I could have peace. And then what does the world do? Mocks you for trusting in God. Uh, the, The other thing that we all probably feel very personally is that the strategies we use to feel peace often work against us. If you think on a very personal level, if your life is in turmoil, if you're feeling pressured and stressed out, what might you turn to? I say, you know what, I think I just need to increase my intake of ice cream and I'll feel better. Well, if you do that every day, what, will that lead you to more peace or less peace? I, not, not a real unanimous consent answer there, but the, uh, the, in premise, like if you make unhealthy choices, you'll have a less peaceful life, right? Um, or you, you, might, you might be leaning toward the very things that are somehow robbing you of any kind of value or peace or relationship. So we know that that's a struggle, that's a challenge we'll have to overcome. And then the cultural trends around us all seem to lead toward anxiety. Some of those are well-founded, like there are things to be afraid of out there, and some of them are in our minds, like we make things way worse than they actually are. So last week we started with this question, how peace-filled is your spirit right now? And I don't know the answer for you, I just know my answer. I don't even know if I could exactly tell you my answer, because it ebbs and flows. It changes based on what's going on. Sometimes I feel great about life and future, sometimes not. So we learned last week that peace is not the absence of trouble or sadness or some sort of negative. Peace is actually something that would overlay that. So when you have peace, it doesn't mean that everything in your life is finally okay. It means that as life is not okay, There's something on top of that messed up life that's giving you confidence and stability, not the circumstances you're in being perfect, but actually something else. That's peace. So the path to peace, the first choice we learned about last week, was I have to choose to invest my hope in God. Like the psalmist in Psalm 42, I I can't look at what's going on around me and say, wow, if my marriage is great, if my kids are fine, if my money's all right, if the world is okay, if the government is okay, then all of that lines up, now I feel good. We're going to be waiting a long time to feel good. It won't happen. But if I invest my hope in God and say, Lord, I'm trusting you, where, where I can't control the circumstances, I'm trusting you, that gets us on the path to peace. So today we're going to take the next step from that premise, and we'll find it in Isaiah 25. Throughout the book of Isaiah, and actually many of the other prophet, prophet books in the Bible, you have this dynamic where the people of God are struggling. Sometimes they're under oppression, they're surrounded by enemy nations that hate them, uh, there are frequent attempts to exterminate them, uh, there are all sorts of internal problems among the people of God where there's idolatry, there's sin, there's compromise, there are terrible leaders that mess everything up. And then there, in the stories, there's usually a remnant or like some few people left who, who care, who actually still want to follow God. And they're praying urgently, God, would you rescue us? Would you help us? 
and the prophets come and give them encouragement. Sometimes the prophets say, hey, right now, fear not, because that enemy is about to be put down and our nation will be restored. Other times, the prophets call people to think way ahead and say that the the rescue, the glory that awaits is not right around the corner, but it is coming. And one of the things that's complicated about reading Bible prophecy is the prophecies that are just about to be fulfilled and the ones that are distant future sometimes are mingled together. So Isaiah 25 is one of those. So we'll read a few verses of 25 and a few verses of 26. Chapter 25, verse 1. O Lord, I will honor and praise your name, for you are my God. You do such wonderful things. You planned them long ago, and now you've accomplished them. You turn mighty cities into heaps of ruins, cities with strong walls that are turned to rubble. Beautiful palaces and distant lands disappear and will never be rebuilt. Say The wonderful things God does are not always just happy, wonderful things, right? Sometimes he's defeating evil, and that's a wonderful thing as well. So evil cities and e- evil people being destroyed. And so this prophet is saying, God, you're, you're doing this, and you're capable of this. Therefore, strong nations will declare your glo- glory. Even the ruthless nations will fear you. But you are a tower of refuge for the poor, O Lord, a tower of refuge for the needy in distress. You are a refuge from the storm, a shelter from the heat, For the oppressive acts of ruthless people are like a storm beating against a wall or like a relentless heat of the desert. But you silence the roar of foreign nations as the shade of a cloud cools relentless heat. So the boastful songs of ruthless people are stilled. And then look at this. In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the peoples of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There, he will remove the cloud of gloom and the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. Now, we're reading this right now, and we're seeing you know, Isaiah's prophesying to his people. Let me ask you, that last thing we just read... Has that already happened, or is that in the future still yet to happen? That's the future, right? That someday, somewhere around Jerusalem, there's this huge feast, all the nations of the world partaking, and wow, the death is over, like the the cloud of gloom that hangs over our lives, the fear, the worry, all of that's lifted. Verse 9, in that day... People will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation he brings. Jump down to chapter 26, verse 1. In that day, everyone in the land of Judah will sing this song. Our city is strong. We're surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Notice not the walls, like physical walls that keep enemies out, not a military wall, not a financial wall, not a legal wall. What what kind of wall is it? God's salvation is actually protecting us and is now defining us. Open the gates to all who are righteous. Allow the faithful to enter. And then I love verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. 
So you imagine people in a broken, fearful, complex world that could have their thoughts running a thousand directions. But instead of doing that and letting worry take hold, they fix their thoughts on God. They take his narrative as their narrative. It's not the story that they're seeing play out in front of them, the, the, the little story of their life and their stress and their tension and their relationships and even their nations. It's a bigger story. It's an eternal story. And, and for the person who keeps their mind fixed on that, they get to enjoy perfect peace. Perfect peace. Verse 4, trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. He humbles the proud, he brings down the arrogant city, he brings it down to the dust. The poor and the oppressed trample it underfoot, the needy walk over it. But for those who are righteous, the way is not steep or rough. You are a God who does what is right. You smooth out the path ahead of them. Lord, we show our trust in you by obeying your laws. Our heart's desire is to glorify your name. All night long I search for you. In the morning I earnestly seek for God. For only when you come to judge the earth will people learn what is right. Your kindness to the wicked does not make them do good. Although others do right, the wicked keep doing wrong. They take no notice of the Lord's majesty. Look to verse 12. Lord, you will grant us peace. And all we've accomplished is really from you. As you focus your attention on God, you get to find peace in a way that the world doesn't understand and in a way that you could never generate on your own. So, so you, you're scrambling in life to try to make things work. Emotions are going haywire. People around you are going haywire. The news is going haywire. And you're saying, I just want to get some sort of resolution, something to just sit still for a minute, something to be at peace. And it always feels like it's just out of reach. Even when you secure one item, you're kind of like, hey, wow, we just won something. Another thing starts to fall apart. Just, just when you think, okay, finally, I've got reconciliation. Like, my relationships feel right. It's not long before something goes wrong. If your sense of peace is tied to what you think you can manipulate or control, you'll never find peace. It will never be well with your soul unless somehow you're able to turn your fixed eyes, your gaze, on God instead of your circumstances. So peace requires a specific belief system about the future, one that rests in God's hands instead of ours. That leads us to the second choice we're going to need to make. If we want to start walking toward peace, we say, all right, number one, I'm going to invest my hope in God. Number two, I'm choosing to trust God's narrative about my future. So you can find lots of narratives in the world today. Right? So you, you know, bring up one news website or turn to one news TV channel, and you can get a narrative, like a story about what's real and where, where things are going. And then you can turn the channel and you can get a different story about what's real and where things are going. And you could probably do that four or five times and find multiple narratives 
all of which are filled with their own fears and hopes, and none of which are dependable, all of which are based on the changing factors of this world that can't be controlled. The question is, what narrative are you tuning into? Have you been caught up in one of the narratives of this world? Things are going to go better. Things are going to go worse. There'll be a terrible war. There won't be a terrible war. The economy will improve. The economy will collapse. There's all narrative choices you have about the story you're in and where things are going. Or are you willing to put your trust in God's narrative about the future? That's what Isaiah was asking people to do. Yes, you're surrounded by enemies. Yes, there will be trials and tribulations. Yes, there will be cities that fall. And yes, there'll be problems in your life. But we're looking forward to something that transcends all of that, something bigger than all of that. Turn with me for a moment to Matthew 24. Sometimes you read a part of the Bible and you say, wow, that feels like right now. And the first part of Matthew 24 doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. If you even have a little bit of an eye on the state of the world, you'll see why I'm bringing this up. So the, uh, the story here is Jesus and his disciples are kind of walking around. You see verse 1 of Matthew 24. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. So, you know, you, you walk around, and you would probably do this in a big city. You know, you, you walk past something really amazing, some architectural marvel, and you just go, hey, guys, look at that. Like, wow, you know, that thing's overlaid with gold. Or look at those pillars. Or I wonder how much it costs to build that thing. So they're just marveling at what they're looking at, these big temple buildings. And, and if you're in the, the, if you're among God's people, the Jewish people at this time in history, you know, they're under Roman occupation, they could look to the temple for so, sort of some stability, some identity. Right? And say, well, we're kind of proud of this, this temple. And what does Jesus say to them? Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. So there goes your hope in that, right? So really, Lord, not even one stone? There's actually a story in history about when that happened, when the temple was destroyed, that, uh, and you can look this up and see the details, but Jesus' prophecy about that, uh, supposedly what happened was as the temple was being destroyed and the fires were raging, gold was melting and it melted in between the stones of the temple, and so when the invaders started ripping it apart, they literally ripped every single stone apart to scratch off the gold. So literally everything about those temple buildings completely destroyed. But then Jesus goes a little further when his disciples press in. Verse 3, later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him and privately said, Tell us, when will all this happen and what will the signal of your return and the end of the world be? So here again, just like an Old Testament prophecy, sometimes you're hearing like an immediate prophecy, this is just about to happen, and sometimes we switch over to long-term mode. So here's what Jesus told them. 
Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations or all people groups will hear it and then the end will come. Now when you read that, and much has been written about this, I just ask you, as you read it right there on the surface, does any of that sound familiar? Say, well, sure. Now, there have been other times in history when that would have sounded familiar. Like, sadly, history does repeat, and a lot of the problems we have now are just new versions of the problems we've always had. But when you read that, you have to kind of admit, wow, that, there's a lot of that happening in our world right now. Um, sometimes you read the news and you think, I'm officially shocked enough. Like, there's nothing that you could toss to me that would shock me more than what I just was shocked by. And then you open up the news the next day. And what happens? I cannot believe that is happening, right? So I think it was like three weeks ago, I was reading this crazy headline that sounded like science fiction, but it was actually a real story of the American military trying to put together a coalition of other militaries to make sure that AI never gets control of nuclear weapons. Say, wait, is that actually the real news? That's in the real news. And then you get to the next, a couple weeks ago, when you read that Russia withdrew from the START treaty, which is the only real framework for nuclear security that was left in our messed up world, essentially taking off any kind of ability to regulate how many weapons are deployed. You say, did I just read that? Like, aren't we past that somehow as humanity? Haven't we learned? Apparently not. And then you could read about some crazy domestic thing that happened, and probably this week there'll be another crazy domestic thing that will happen. And, and then you might turn the page to your own life, like whatever your own news is, and say, yeah, we just came through some sort of crazy tragedy, and, and there might be another crazy tragedy right around the corner. So as you're processing all of this, how in the world will you find peace? And right in the middle of what Jesus said about all these things taking place, Notice in verse 6, he said, don't panic. Well, why not? Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, devastation. If you happen to live through it, they're going to persecute you and kill you. Like, why not panic? Because your narrative is not just what you see around you in this world. You're a part of a bigger story. And thus... Even though we care about the things that happen in this world, they don't matter as much as being a part of that bigger story. In, in Revelation 21, which sounds an awful lot like 
what we read in Isaiah, where God wipes the tears from their eyes and where death is defeated. The voice from the throne actually tells John, the person who is writing Revelation, says, write this down, this is trustworthy and true. Like God is going to win, and you're a part of something that's going to last forever, and no matter how bleak or terrible your situation feels, you can put your hope in that future. And for that reason, you can have peace. So peace will be beyond our reach until we look beyond this world. Your source for peace is not here. People will try, but it ultimately won't work unless you're part of a story that transcends this world. So you could, you could thought project a little bit. and You could say, okay, if, if I believe that, how should I respond to the things that happen around me? So you're at, you know, at the coffee station or the water cooler at work, you're at lunch at school, and everybody's talking about whatever, some horrible thing that just happened in the news. Should your response as a Christian be different than what your response would be if you weren't a Christian? I would hope so. I would hope that your Christian faith would inform your responses. So you might play it out this way. Well, what, if, what about global turmoil? Well, when you see the world falling apart, it should drive you to deeper faith where you say, you know what, all of this craziness is actually good evidence that I should not have my faith invested in this world. I should be putting my hope in God. And Lord, I want to turn all this craziness into prayer, into, into recognizing my need for you and even emboldening my witness. Because the more this world falls apart, the brighter our light can shine. And all of it causes us to look forward. Say, well, what about national problems? If we zoom in a little bit, think just America. Wow, what a, what a mess things seem to be in. Well, what's your response as a Christian to all that mess? Join the fight? Won't make a whole lot of difference, but here's what will. Deeper faith, fervent prayer, emboldened witness, and then you keep looking forward because your fate is not tied to what happens in this world or this nation. You zoom down even further and say, what about my personal uncertainty? Like I'm out of money or my relationships are messed up or I, I have some sort of a family problem I can't get over or I feel like I'm addicted to something and what should I do? Well, as you see the brokenness of the world around you or even the brokenness inside of you, you say, Lord, would you help me to have a, a Christian response to that? That in every way, Lord, I, I want to deepen my faith. I want to trust you more because all of this stuff proves I shouldn't be trusting myself very much. I want to turn my struggle into prayer. I want to get bolder in my witness. I want to shine light while I still have time. There's urgency to that. And I want to look forward past the thing I'm in to the glory that awaits. So you remember a few weeks ago we talked about how Daniel and the exiles in a different Old Testament story, they were pulled out of their homeland and just when everything around them and their culture seemed like it was collapsing, Jeremiah wrote them a letter that said, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, they are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And as long as they could fix their eyes on that, they could have hope no matter where they ended up. So trusting God's narrative about my future is how I'll find the confidence to face challenges of my present. So I just want to ask you again, what is the narrative in your head about what happens next? In your life, in your relationships, 
in the country, in the world, in the economy, in your job, at school? Are you deriving peace from the idea that those things are going to go well? They might, but even the best case scenario is they would still be temporary. If you want perfect peace, fix your eyes on God. I wanted to conclude by reading you what Paul wrote as he faced uncertainty. Remember the first century believers, right after the time of Jesus, they were under heavy persecution. And so not all different from what we kind of anticipate at the very end here in Romans 24, or in, in Matthew 24, there people were hating the people who believed in Jesus and arresting them and killing them, and that story was continuing on. Here's what Paul wrote about his attitude and what could be our attitude as well. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we're being killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. And that, that was happening when Romans was written. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. So you face that uncertain world, you face that difficult scenario, and you say, you know what? There, sure, there are things to work through. And we'll get to those in the steps ahead on our journey. But as a matter of faith, as a matter of belief, I invest my hope in God and I start believing his narrative instead of my own narrative or the narratives fed to me by others. I start recognizing I'm a part of an eternal story and there is no threat to that. Jesus' love for me is solid. Jesus is the rock that we run to. He's the refuge. He's our hope in times of trouble. Paul continued writing. He said, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as a Christian, as one who believes in the narrative of God, you have nothing to fear. There are fearful things that you may live through. You may not live through them. But in the big picture, in the eternal picture, there's no threat to you. So our hearts can be set at peace and we look forward. We yearn for the day when all these things work out and when God's plan, when we sit at that big banquet table in Jerusalem and when death is vanquished and all the tears are wiped away, we look forward to that. And we recognize that here and now, there's a reason for us to be in this time and this place. Instead of being afraid, instead of running around worrying and getting angry and being frustrated, instead we say, Lord, thank you for letting me live right now, right here. I want to do all I can for you based on the hope that's in my heart. And you'll be able to walk forward in peace, making this choice. So would you bow your heads with me for just a moment and pray with me? I want to ask you a question just to talk to the Lord about in your own heart. He can hear your thoughts, so you can just pray to him right there where you are. Lord, 
what do I need to change about my view of the future in order to experience your peace? Lord, is there anything about my future that I'm holding on to and trying to control that's leading me away from the path of peace? And Lord, what is it that you want me to believe about the future? Jesus, thank you for turning our eyes away from the things of this world. Thank you for that story of reminding your disciples not to look at the temple buildings and find some sort of security in those, but to look up at the much bigger story, not to panic when this world is falling apart, but instead to double down on faith, instead to pray, to shine the light. Lord, you've given us so much to look forward to, so many reasons for our hearts to be flooded with peace, even when we face trials, even when things don't work out. Lord, I know that there are some among my friends, my brothers and sisters here in this room, that in their hearts are consumed with worry or that somehow have been fixated on worrisome things, like I've been different times in my life, would you help us to fix our minds on you instead of those things? You've given us so much to live for, such a bright future to look forward to. Lord, we want to rejoice in that, and we want to make our first steps out of this building today steps of confidence facing an uncertain earthly future, but a rock-solid certain eternal future. And because of that, we'll march forward with hope, with joy, ready to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, God bless you. We'll see you next week for choice number three on the path of peace.